I want to start by mentioning some books that I would like to recommend. I've given their names in your notes page. The first is the book that's called Half the Sky. I would challenge you to read this and encourage every woman you know and every man you know to read this. It gives a picture of what it's like to be a a woman in lots of different places around the world. And let me tell you, a lot of the women around the world are not living like we are. Okay? Highly recommend that. Then, Tim Keller's Generous Justice. If you, I think if this is a really, if you want to kind of learn the basics about what the scriptures say about justice, highly recommend this. Also, a couple of personal stories of people sharing how God has um, kind of opened their eyes to seeing injustices in the world and then drawn um, people to be involved. This one is by Richard Stearns, who's the president of World Vision. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel. That's his personal story, and it's fabulous. And then um, I've recommended this in the past in other studies, but Mama Maggie, she is kind of like the Mother Teresa of Egypt. And it is a powerful personal story that... Yes, get this for every woman you know. Beautiful. She is a woman of prayer, and, and she has changed. Just God working in her heart, she's changed thousands of children's lives in that area. So one of the, the authors of the first book, Half the Sky, his, he and his wife, Nicholas Kristoff, and his wife, Cheryl Wudun. Nicholas is a New York Times best-selling journalist, Pulitzer Prize winner. And he has been around the world into some of the darkest places in our time. He's been in, in brothels in Asia. He's been in Africa where um, health care is so non-existent and people are dying and they shouldn't be. You know, he's been in really, really difficult places. And it's interesting because he's not a man of faith as far as I can tell. But at the end of each chapter in that book, this is what he's, he's, he's trying to express this point. Because he, in each chapter, he'll share about these horrible things that he's witnessed. People, things that, you know, the suffering of people. And then at the end, he always gives the story of someone who's going into that dark place and making a difference. And I heard him speak once, and he said, he was asked, how do you keep doing this work? It's horrible work. How do you, you don't you just want to quit and give up? You want to go and hide and just say that, you know, it's just too hard to look at? And and he said, I I keep persevering because at every dark place that I enter into, I see someone who's brave enough to go there and bring light. And I see the most beautiful, you know, Humanity at its best, even in these in the worst of situations. And it's as if he knows the gospel. <laughs> oh. So this morning, I would love to begin by just seeking to define justice. I think that when we talk about justice in our context today, in our society, we immediately think of the justice system. We think of justice as punishment or somebody getting, you know, what they deserve. Yet if you you open your Bibles, we're going to see a totally different definition of justice. And so as we look at our Bibles this morning, it's my desire for us to see God's heart for justice that is woven throughout the whole story of Scripture. 
Many of you have probably memorized Micah 6.8, and you know that God has called his people to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. So what does it mean to do justice? Justice can simply be defined as caring for the poor and the vulnerable in our world. It's seeking out those who are being taken advantage of and helping them. It's not only seeing those that are being pushed down. The word oppressed, when it's used in scripture, talks about being crushed, okay, being pushed down. It's when the people that have authority and power push down people. It's seeing those people and then taking up their cause, okay? So I love, I love the ministry Royal Family Kids, which is seeking to reach out to children who've been neglected and abused. And this is, is the thought, uphold the cause. When you see children, when I see those kids, little ones, walking off the bus at camp, I just think it can't be true that children this little have experienced what they've experienced. And when you see those faces, you have to. You have to uphold their cause, and you have to do your best to teach them that God loves them and cares for them, even in the midst of the horrible things that they've experienced. So it's taking up the cause of the weak. It's being brave enough to intervene when you see situations that are wrong. Tim Keller describes justice as treating people equitably. And also this, interesting to note, giving them what they are due. So for someone that is oppressed, right, it's caring for them. So for someone that's doing the oppressing, it's seeking to fight against them, right, to call them to account. So justice in the scripture is much different than what we think of it today. It's a radical, selfless way of life. It's courageously making other people's problems your problems. It's committing to the work of setting things right in this world. And it's what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Something that we've been taught, right? That's one of the basic things that we learn, even as young ones. Christians are to be known by their love. And when you put it in the big picture of scripture, Christians are to be known by doing justice. So let's, I also just want to mention that as you're, maybe you're going to follow Kelly's instructions this morning. You're going to read all the way through the Bible. This is something to note. Often you will see the words justice and righteousness paired together. This is a literary feature that's called a hendiadis. And it literally, it, it means that these two words, when you see them, they're presenting one concept. It's a pair of words that present one concept. And so righteousness, as, as we see it in the scripture, it's not just doing what is right, but it's relating rightly to people. Okay, and so keep your eye open for that whenever you're reading your Bible, seeing that pair of justice and righteousness. Now we're going to take a quick, broad look at how we see God's heart for justice in the Old Testament first. 
And we must know that justice begins right at creation. The call to justice is there right from the start, and it's because every single human being is made in God's image. So all humans, every single one, from the beginning of time to the end, no matter where they're born, no matter what their religious affiliation is, the color of their skin, whatever, every single person has value because they're made in his image, made to reflect God. And so every single person is to be treated with dignity. And no one is to be mistreated. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The load or burden of my neighbor's glory is laid daily on my back. We are to guard the rights of those around us. Now we know that in Eden, everything was as it should be. And Eden is this beautiful picture of shalom, where God and humans were well connected in delight and relationship and so Adam and Eve could flourish because they were connected well to one another and connected well to God. Shalom could be described as universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom is the way things ought to be. Everyone relating rightly with God and relating rightly with one another. When the fall hits, sin enters in and wreaks havoc on shalom. And so injustice becomes rampant. Some people elevate themselves and push down other people. This not only happens individually, but in families, then in communities, and then in whole nations. So when you think of sin, think of injustice. It's people are not treating each other as they should. And the heartbreaking thing that happens when sin enters the picture and is such the norm in our society today is that it becomes acceptable to divide people into categories. Right? There are, you know, that we even talk about, you know, well, I'm, you know, a middle class person or, you know, I mean, it's just, God doesn't have any of those categories. But it seems so normal to us. This is the message that we're complete, we're always bombarded with by our culture. So then God, he has to, he, from the start, he always had a plan, right, to resolve this problem of sin in the world. And first, he comes up with this idea of covenant, right, and reaches out to Abraham and says, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to grow your family into a nation. And you are to be my people to reflect my heart. And through your family, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth because I want shalom for everyone. I want everyone to know me, to be related to me, and to be able to flourish. And so here at this point, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them with me to Exodus 2. 
because one, I think this is one of the key points in the history, in the story of Scripture and in the Old Testament, where God has been faithful to Abraham and he has grown his family. They're becoming a nation and he sees that his people, his covenant people, are in Egypt and they're being oppressed by the Egyptians. And so God comes and he speaks to Moses at the burning bush. Um, if you, We'll start with Exodus 2 at the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people, and he knew. And then chapter 3, go down to verse 7. God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush and speaks to him. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. And I'm skipping all the ites, and I'm going down to verse 9. <laughs> and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is a picture of God's justice on display. He sees his people suffering. He hears their cry. He cares. He comes. And he acts to deliver them. So he acts and helps those are who, who are oppressed. And we know the rest of the story, right? He fights against the oppressors, right? He fights against the Egyptians on behalf of his oppressed children. What we need to see here is this scene. You will find throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, God identifies himself as, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. This is him saying, I am a just God. This is how you act justly. This is the, the example. And he's, he's always identifies himself as that. And then he says, therefore, you will not oppress anyone else. You will remember who you are. This is part of your identity. You are a people that have been set free by my grace and by power. I saw you and I cared for you and I came for you. And so, from the beginning, when, when Moses gets the Ten Commandments, when all the laws are given, that wonderful book of Leviticus that we talked about this morning, they are called to be a people, a community who work justice. God's gracious deliverance is to inspire his people to care for others who are oppressed. He says, remember who you were. You can't now go in, in, and oppress others. You must care for those, lift up those who are pushed down, who are crushed. So 
you will find throughout all the laws that God wants his people to be committed to caring for the weak and for the poor, just like he does. And you will find that no area of Israel's life, no sphere was to be exempt from this concern for justice. And there's something that I want you to remember from our time this morning. There's this, we find so many times in God's commands to his people, his commands to care for the quartet of the vulnerable. This is the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. We find this in in Zechariah 7.10. You'll find it many, many other times. But what we need to know is that God says, you have to care for people that don't have a family. You have to care for people that don't have a home. You are responsible to care for the poor in your midst. And for the ones that are vulnerable to those that have power, you are to take up their cause. And what you will find if you read closely that Israel's caring for the poor is the litmus test for their covenant obedience. I mean, it is a key. If they are not caring for the poor, then they are not being faithful to their calling as his people that are to bring light to the world, right? Be a light to the nations. You'll find in the historical books that the judges are to reflect God's justice and righteousness. The kings are to be doing justice and to imitate God's protection of the needy. The kings are not to elevate themselves or misuse their power. In the wisdom books, this is all just practical. <laughs> it's, this is how you live as a community of justice in a practical way in your daily living. And when you read through the Psalms, it's fascinating. I've been doing a study of the Psalms um, with a small group this fall. And when you read the whole book of Psalms the whole way through, you cannot not get around this truth that the people of Israel believe that God was just and that he would fight on their behalf when wicked were coming against them. And we find these prayers, the lament prayers, where they're asking God, you know, judge those wicked people. And we, I think, we don't pray like that. But it's because they really knew that God was just. They counted in, on him to, to bring justice to them and um, to their situations. In the prophets, you know, there's this theme that the prophets proclaim over and over again to God's people. You are going through these religious motions, offering sacrifices, and your hearts are far from me. Why? Because of the way that you are treating people. You are oppressing people. You are neglecting the poor. You are not fighting for the vulnerable. And they've lost sight of their mission, that they are not just God's people for them to enjoy God's blessing, but they are to be a blessing and to reflect his heart of justice to the rest of the world. And even in the midst of exile and their return back to Israel, 
you will find in the prophets that they speak of a time in the future when God will set things right. He will punish evil and make all of creation to flourish. So that's kind of a grand picture, very quick glimpse into the story of the Old Testament. But here's my question for you all today. When you think of the quartet of the vulnerable, you know, back in this time, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the sojourner, and this is your chance to get the opportunity to share, who would you identify as the vulnerable people in our world today? (coughs) What are your thoughts? Refugees. Come. Yes. Yes. Who else? Foster kids. Mm-hmm. Who else? Women who are trafficked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The abused. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's abused, yes. Yeah. People who are poor, right? And we know that the poor are not just in Africa, but we have poor people that are living right in our midst, in our county, in our area. And um, I found this statistic, in this was from the year 2013. There are 46.6 million people living in poverty in the U.S., and a third are children. And yes, when we think of orphans, we do. We think of, of children that are neglected and abused. Every year, three million reports of child abuse are made in the U.S. involving more than six million children. And a report of child bu- abuse is made every 10 seconds. When we think of widows, There are widows, right, that we can care for in our midst. The elderly. All mom with widows, single moms. Yes, definitely. Single moms. Yes, who need someone to see them and just befriend them, come alongside, support them. The unborn. Yes, the unborn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Someone that we can speak up for, right? Use our voices, speak on their behalf. Yes, yes, yes. And we know that, um, did you know that there are more slaves in the world than there have ever been in any time in history? I think possibly, um, yeah, many, many. Um, And right here in our midst, in the Chicago area, it's said that around 24,000 women and girls are trafficked in the Chicago area every single year. And currently, there are only 30 beds available in aftercare homes for women that are trying to break free from this life. We could go on and on, right? We look at the third world and we know there are lots of people that need water, lots of people that need basic health care, lots of um, women 
who are, are oppressed, that are, that are treated as second-class second citizens. And we, when we look at all the statistics, we can become overwhelmed. But what I want you to encourage you to do, if you want to be, take some steps in being a woman who seeks justice in this world, don't cover your eyes. Be willing to look at the hard things. Read your Bible with your newspaper in hand. Okay, so do, we can't, my, I, I have to confess, when I was younger, my husband teased me. He said I was probably one of the most uninformed people on the planet. I just, you know, I, I made my world really small and I was taking care of my little kids, you know. But we need, we need to be aware, and I think we're more than able of being aware in this day and age with all the media that we have. But ask the Lord to grow your awareness and then ask him to, to break your heart over just one, maybe it's just one person or one people group that he would have you see, <laughs> that he would have you hear their cries, that he would have you care, that he would break your heart over what their hurts, and that he would guide you and move your feet to do the work of seeking justice, whether it's caring for them or upholding their cause. Sarah Groves, a singer that I love, has been on this path of seeking justice for a while. And she, she's a song, singer and songwriter, so it shows up in her songs and in her music. And she wrote a song that's called, I Saw What I Saw. She said in it, she says, I saw what I saw, and I can't forget it. I heard what I heard, and I can't go back. And she talks about being... I'm not sure where, but seeing the face of her son in the eyes, you know, in the face of another child. See, what happens is we always think that these things are going on out there. But when you really see and enter into a person's life and you see their face and you learn their name and you learn their story, then God can't help me. You can't help but respond and seek to bring compassion and care. Okay, so now we're going to move on and we're going to look at justice in the New Testament. We're flying through here. First of all, I just want to say that we have to remember absolutely that at the cross of Jesus Christ is where God's justice and his mercy meet. God saw the sins of the world and he cared and Jesus came to bring deliverance to those that don't deserve it, that he died in our place, that he died for every single person. And offers the gifts, gift of salvation to anyone that will come to him in faith. But let's think of the setting when Jesus was born and walked this earth. In this day, similar to now, slavery was rampant. There were many who were poor. And in Israel, approximately... 70% were poor, and the bottom 10% were literally 
wondering how they would get their next meal. Okay, so this is where God, where Jesus enters into the world. And then in the, in the greater world, in the Roman Empire, the emperor himself was elevating himself as God and calling people to worship him. And he was expanding his empire through brute force. He is just kind of like the perfect example of someone who's committing great injustices. And women and children were not valued. Women were second-class citizens. They were possessions to either their fathers or their husbands. They were not educated. They could not give testimony in court. They were meant to just stay in the home. And children, I'm sorry to say, but in, in the Greco-Roman world at this time, children were not valued at all, and they were often discarded, just left to die. So this is the world that Jesus enters into. And he says, he comes with this upside-down kingdom, saying that it's the last and the least that are the most important than the most valuable. In Matthew, we find that all who follow Jesus are welcomed into God's family and can be called his sons and daughters. Jesus seeks to establish a whole new community, a community of salt and light, right? And it could almost be described as a kingdom of the poor for the poor. And when I think, think of the poor here, I'm thinking of those who are outcasts, those that are socially marginalized, and as well as those who are economically poor. It could also be described as a Robin Hood system, where the rich would be encouraged to be generous, to even sell out all that they have, to care for the poor so that everybody's needs were met. We think of what was going on in the early church in the, in the book of Acts as well. In Mark... Jesus humbly and boldly confronts the sources of injustice. And he makes it clear that those want to follow, follow him, it's not going to be an easy path, but it will be a costly one. They, if they go on this path of seeking justice and following Jesus, they will, they will be on this path that leads to suffering. But they will be willing to do so for Christ's sake because of what he's done for them. In Luke Jesus comes to confront the oppressive powers of this world, the Roman Empire and all its injustices, and the religious leaders of the day who exalt themselves and don't care for the broken people that they are supposed to be shepherding. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And in Luke, whenever there's talk of salvation, it always speaks of the healing that comes through receiving Christ and the forgiveness of sins that he brings. I also love the book of Luke because it highlights Jesus' care for women. Beautiful to see. In John, Jesus brings the rule of God to earth and offers life in all its fullness to his followers, to all that will believe in him. And we find Jesus revealing himself through the amazing I am statements that just speak of this kingdom that is offering healing and new life. You know, I'm living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. You know them. 
so Jesus comes in bringing, bringing God's kingdom to earth. And it's a kingdom where freedom and justice and equality reign. And then in Luke 4, one of my favorite passages of scripture, we find Jesus coming to proclaim his mission in his hometown. So Luke 4, beginning with verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place of where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't it have been awesome to be witness to that? I wish I could have been in that synagogue on that day. So here, the, the scroll, this is from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 61. What did Jesus come to bring? But good, note, good news for the poor. Liberty for the captives. And the Israelites would have, you know, remembered their time in exile, right? And them wanting to be set free. And it would even thought at that time of the, the oppression that the Romans were um, placing them under. Sight to the blind. Liberty for those who are oppressed, those who have been pushed down by those in authority. This also could speak of those that are in need of physical healing or maybe are um, spiritually <clears throat> oppressed. And then this line that I think we tend to skip over, that he's announcing the year of the Lord's favor. This harkens back to the Old Testament and the call for God's people to have the year of jubilee where debts would be canceled. You see, it's always been God's heart that the rich wouldn't become richer and the poor poorer, but that he was trying to bridge the gap. He had in those laws that every seven years that debts were to be canceled and then the year of jubilee was the great celebration. And that's what Jesus comes to announce. I think that I have often read this passage and read it kind of in a spiritual sense, right? That he comes for those that are spiritually poor, spiritually blind. But we have to see it as both a physical and a spiritual sense. Okay? And then we think of Jesus' ministry and think of who his friends were. <laughs> Jesus had no categories. He didn't care about the social systems of this world or the political systems of this world. He cared for the outcasts, the ostracized, those that were considered to be Israel's enemies, the Gentiles, Samaritans, the tax collectors who sided with the Romans. And what I love about Jesus, he embodies all that we saw in that Exodus passage. He sees, he cares, he touches. 
He touches the untouchables of the day, the unclean people of the day, right? And he heals the sick, the blind, the lame, the lepers. He sees and elevates women and children as equals. That famous passage in Luke, right, where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's busy in the kitchen, it has nothing to do with different personality types. I'm sorry to tell you. This is Jesus inviting Mary, a woman, to be one of his disciples. And the invitation is offered to Martha as well. This was revolutionary that he saw women as equal to men and said all could follow him. So he sees and he cares for all people. At this point, okay, let's see here. I'm, I, I have a job for you all to do. So I hope some of you have your Bibles. Do you have your Bibles handy? Okay. Um, I would love for these three tables here, I would like for you to read on your own and then discuss around your table this Matthew 25 31 to 46 passage, okay? You three tables. And then you two tables here, I would love for you to look at the um, passage Luke, at Luke 10, 25 to 37, the, the, Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan. And what I want you to do, read through it on your own and then discuss around your tables. What do you, I, we don't have time to kind of dissect it. Okay, but what do you think is the core message, the call that is given to Jesus' followers in in these two passages? I'll give you a few minutes.
Okay, ladies, I'm going to gather, use my loud voice and gather your attention. So for those of you that read the Matthew passage, what did you feel like? Was there a message about God, Christ's call to justice there? What did you find? Go and do likewise. Hold on one second. You guys, hold on one second. I'm asking for the Matthew passage first. <laughs> You're doing good, though. <laughs> Any thought? There's a judgment in the end. Yes. We are accountable. Mm-hmm. Accountable, and what does that passage say? We're accountable to what? What is the kind of the call here? Caring for people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Caring to caring for people in need, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. For those of you that didn't read it, it's the, it's the passage where, yes, at the judgment day that... that the Lord will divide people into the sheep or the goats, right? And the sheep are the ones that have cared for the poor. And what else? There's another kind of truth that hits home from this passage. When you're caring for the poor, who are you caring for? Jesus. Jesus. He says, when you care for the poor, you are caring for me. And 
I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but that idea from, from the beginning and is woven throughout the Old Testament, I think we're, we're taught that we're to love God and to love others, but really loving others is loving God. They're one and the same. How we treat other people is how we are treating God. And so we, and then Jesus um, reveals that through this passage. Now Richard Stearns has his own version of this of this Matthew 25 passage. He says, and he's speaking about, I would say, probably us as Americans. He says, For I was hungry, while you had all you needed. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. I think that the messages that our culture gives to us can draw us to have this kind of cynicism, okay, that is evident in that. And yet, Tim Keller says, when he looks at this passage, that we have to see that genuine disciples of Christ will create a new community that does not exclude the poor or the members of other races or the powerless and does deal with their needs sacrificially and practically. One's heart attitude towards the poor reveals one's heart attitude toward Christ. Okay, then the Luke passage. What did you find? Anything that hit home with you about the call to justice in the and Jesus talking about the um, story of the Good Samaritan? I thought walking across the street was just so clear. Yes. Go the other way. Yes. Avoid looking at it. Yes. The religious people walked by. Yes. We're called to see. To see. Yes. The person, the need, mm-hmm. and every person. If you think about it this way, yeah. I was a visiting hometown Paris. Yeah. I'm just privileged to be in that intimate space mm, yeah. of a person's grief or mm-hmm. need or sickness. Every face is the face of Christ. Mm, beautiful. Every face. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's interesting here. This religious leader is saying, well, who is my neighbor? And I think it's the wrong question, right? Because everybody is to be our neighbor, right? Every single person is made in the image of God. And Jesus, you know, says, yes, the one who does mercy, it, it's, the question is, how do I be a loving neighbor? Okay, it's not, we can't let those categories slip into our way of thinking. And the Jews of the day would only have thought of their neighbor as their fellow Jews. And Jesus is saying, no, this is not the case. Every single one is your neighbor. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. looks at this text, and he says that he views the priest and the Levite as Christians today, and the Samaritan as part of any shunned or oppressed group. And he says, the priest and the Levites ask themselves, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? Whereas the Good Samaritan asked, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Yes, it's seeing, hearing their cries, caring, doing something. So as we close today, I'll read to you this quote from, it's from Teresa of Avila, 
from the 16th century. And I believe that this is Christ's call, not just to us as individuals, but to his body, that we are to be a community that does the work of justice. Teresa says this, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. I, am, I have to say that I'm really, really excited because I am seeing people in our midst, in this church body, in our community, who are living faithfully this work of doing justice. They're getting personally involved. A woman I know, she's a really, I don't, just, she practically runs the company that she works at. And because of her work at um, Suncast Corporation over in Batavia, for over 20 years, that company has employed more work release people than any other company in the state of Illinois. And she says, as she's worked for a long period of time, she's got to go names and faces and, and said, you know what, you've been in prison, I don't care, I'm going to give you a job, I'm going to give you a chance, and I'll train you and give you every opportunity. And she says, if I grew up on the south side of Chicago, if I didn't have a healthy family, if drugs were rampant everywhere, if education wasn't valued, if I was stuck in that cycle of generational poverty, she said, I would be in prison. And I think it's just, we need to become more aware that we've been given lots and lots of opportunities and people just get stuck where they are because they, they're vulnerable and they don't have a way out and they need the church to come alongside and lift them up. So please proclaim this truth about justice to everyone you know. And please come to the Micah 6 8 event on February 3rd, 2018. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. We've got Sarah Groves coming and a, one of the lost boys of Sudan going to come share his story. It's going to be an awesome night. So thanks. Sorry, I've kept you a little late. Oh. <laughs> Which one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're fine. Event that you just said, February.